0: This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of PCL injury from the knee and sports section on orthobullets.com. PCL injuries may be isolated or combined and often go undiagnosed in the acutely injured knee. As far as the epidemiology, the incidence of PCL injuries is 5 to 20 percent of all knee ligamentous injuries. As far as the pathophysiology, the mechanism of a PCL injury is a direct blow to the proximal tibia with a flexed knee, which is the case in a classic dashboard injury. Other mechanisms of injury to the PCL include a non-contact hyperflexion with a plantar flexed foot, as well as a hyperextension injury. As far as the pathoanatomy, the PCL is the primary restraint to posterior tibial translation, and it functions to prevent hyperflexion slash sliding. Isolated injuries cause the greatest instability at 90 degrees of flexion. Associated conditions with a PCL injury include a combined PCL and posterolateral corner injury. Other associated conditions may include multiligamentous knee injuries or knee dislocations. As far as the prognosis, chronic PCL deficiency leads to increased contact pressures in the patellofemoral and medial compartments of the knee due to the varus alignment. However, it's controversial whether late patellar and medial femoral condyle chondrosis will develop. Now let's quickly go over some relevant anatomy. As far as the PCL anatomy, the origin of the PCL is the posterior tibial sulcus below the articular surface. And the insertion is the anterolateral medial femoral condyle. And remember that the PCL has a broad crescent-shaped footprint. As far as the dimensions of the PCL, it is 38 millimeters in length times 13 millimeters in diameter, and the PCL is 30% larger than the ACL. The PCL has two bundles, the anterolateral bundle and the posteromedial bundle. The anterolateral bundle is tight in flexion and is the strongest and most important for posterior stability at 90 degrees of flexion. Remember that the ACL has an anteromedial and a posterolateral bundle, And a good way to remember that the PCL has an anterolateral and posteromedial bundle is the mnemonic PAL, where the P in PAL represents PCL, and the AL in PAL represents the anterolateral bundle. The posteromedial bundle in the PCL is tight in extension. Remember the anterolateral bundle is tight in flexion. And the posteromedial bundle has a reciprocal function to the anterolateral bundle. The PCL lies between the meniscofemoral ligaments, that is, the ligament of Humphrey, which is anterior, and the ligament of Risberg, which is posterior. Remember that H in Humphrey comes first in the letter of the alphabet, which is a good way to remember that it's anterior, and the W in Risberg comes later in the alphabet, which is a good way to remember that it is posterior. The meniscofemoral ligaments originate from the posterior horn of the lateral meniscus and insert into the PCL substance. As far as blood supply for the PCL, this is supplied by the branches of the middle geniculate artery and fat pad. As far as the biomechanics of the PCL, the strength is 2,500 to 3,000 newtons posterior. And the PCL minimizes posterior tibial displacement by 95%. Moving on to the classification of PCL injuries, the classification is based on posterior subluxation of the tibia relative to the femoral condyles with the knee in 90 degrees of flexion and this is typically divided into three grades. Grade one is a partial tear that is one to five millimeters of posterior tibial translation, and the tibia remains anterior to the femoral condyles. Grade two is complete isolated, and it represents six to 10 millimeters of posterior tibial translation, and this is considered a complete injury in which the anterior tibia is flush with the femoral condyles. Grade three is a combined PCL and capsuloligamentous injury, that is characterized by greater than 10 millimeters of posterior tibial translation. The tibia is posterior to the femoral condyles and often indicates an associated ACL and or posterolateral corner injury. As far as the presentation of a PCL injury, you have to differentiate between high and low energy trauma, such as a dashboard injury or a hyperflexion athletic injury with a plantar flexed foot. Also make sure to ascertain a history of dislocation or neurologic injury. Symptoms of a PCL injury may include posterior knee pain and or instability. Instability is often subtle or asymptomatic in isolated PCL injuries. On physical exam, make sure to test varus-slash-valgus stress. Laxity at 0 degrees indicates an MCL-slash-LCL and PCL injury, while laxity at 30 degrees alone indicates an MCL-slash-LCL injury. To look for a posterior sag sign, the patient lies supine with the hips and knees flexed to 90 degrees as the examiner supports the ankles and observes for a posterior shift of the tibia as compared to the uninvolved knee. The medial tibial plateau of a normal knee at rest is 10 millimeters anterior to the medial femoral condyle. An absent or posteriorly directed tibial step-off indicates a positive posterior sag sign. A posterior drawer test at 90 degrees of flexion is done with the knee at 90 degrees of flexion and a posteriorly directed force is applied to the proximal tibia and posterior tibial translation is quantified. Isolated PCL injuries translate greater than 10 to 12 millimeters in neutral rotation and 6 to 8 millimeters in internal rotation. Combined ligamentous injuries translate greater than 15 millimeters in neutral rotation and greater than 10 millimeters in internal rotation. A posterior drawer test is the most accurate maneuver for diagnosing a PCL injury. In a quadriceps active test, a patient will attempt to extend a knee flexed at 90 degrees to elicit quadriceps contraction. The test is positive if anterior reduction of the tibia occurs relative to the femur. In a dial test, greater than 10 degrees of external rotation asymmetry at 30 degrees and 90 degrees is consistent with the posterior lateral corner and PCL injury greater than 10 degrees of external rotation asymmetry at 30 degrees only, is consistent with an isolated posterolateral corner injury. A KT-1000 and KT-2000 knee ligament arthrometers are used for standardized laxity measurement, although this is less accurate than for an ACL. As far as imaging, recommended views on radiographs include AP and supine lateral, and on these views you may see an avulsion fracture with acute injuries, this is also useful to assess for posterior tibiofemoral subluxation, as well as medial and patellofemoral compartment arthrosis, which may be present with chronic injuries. In a lateral stress view, apply stress to the anterior tibia with the knee flexed to 70 degrees. An asymmetric posterior tibial displacement indicates a PCL injury. Contralateral knee differences of greater than 12 millimeters on stress views suggest a combined PCL and posterolateral corner injury the lateral stress view is becoming the gold standard in diagnosing and quantifying PCL injuries. Another recommended view to get is a kneeling stress radiograph of the knee. An MRI is the confirmatory study for the diagnosis of a PCL injury. As far as treatment of a PCL injury, this can be either non-operative or operative. Non-operative management can include protected weight-bearing and rehab or relative immobilization and extension for four weeks. Protected weight-bearing and rehab is indicated for an isolated grade 1 that is a partial tear and grade 2 that is complete isolated injuries. The rehab for these injuries typically involves quadriceps rehabilitation with a focus on knee extensor strengthening. As far as outcomes, these patients will return to sports in 2-4 to weeks. Relative immobilization and extension for 4 weeks is indicated for isolated grade 3 injuries. However, surgery may be indicated with bony avulsions or a young athlete. As far as modalities for this non-operative option, extension bracing is employed with limited daily range of motion exercises and immobilization is followed by quadriceps strengthening. As far as operative options, this may include PCL repair of bony avulsion fractures or reconstruction or a high tibial osteotomy, and we'll go into indications for each of these now. The indications for a PCL repair of a bony avulsion fracture or reconstruction is a combined ligamentous injury such as a PCL plus an ACL or a posterolateral corner injury or a PCL plus a grade 3 MCL or LCL injury. Other indications include an isolated grade 2 or 3 PCL injury with a bony avulsion or an isolated chronic PCL injury with a functionally unstable knee. Operative techniques can include primary repair of bony avulsion fractures with open reduction and internal fixation. Reconstruction options include a tibial inlay versus a transtibial method, single bundle versus double bundle grafts, and autograft versus allograft. Allograft is typically utilized with multiple graft choices available. Options include Achilles, bone patellar tendon bone, hamstring, and anterior tibialis. As far as outcomes, There are good results achieved with primary repair of bony avulsions. Primary repair of mid-substance ruptures are typically not successful. Results of PCL reconstruction are less successful than with ACL reconstruction, and residual posterior laxity often exists. Successful reconstruction depends on addressing concomitant ligament injuries, and no outcome studies clearly support one reconstruction technique over the other a high tibial osteotomy is indicated for a chronic PCL deficiency. As far as techniques, consider medial opening wedge osteotomies to treat both varus malalignment and the PCL deficiency. When performing a high tibial osteotomy in a PCL deficient knee, increasing the tibial slope helps reduce the posterior sag of the tibia. Now let's go into some of these surgical techniques in a little bit more detail. Let's start with an arthroscopic transtibial technique. The approach to this is standard arthroscopic portals with an accessory posteromedial portal. The posteromedial portal is placed one centimeter proximal to the joint line posterior to the MCL and make sure to avoid injury to the branches of the saphenous nerve during placement. The posteromedial corner of the knee is best visualized with a 70 degree arthroscope either through the notch that is a modified Gilquist view or using a posteromedial portal. With respect to technique, Transtibial drilling is done anterior to posterior, and make sure to fix the graft in 90 degrees of flexion with an anterior drawer. Results in knee biomechanics are similar to the native knee. The major con to this approach is a risk to the popliteal vessels. Moving on to an open tibial inlay, this approach uses a posterior medial incision between the medial head of the gastrocnemius and the semimembranosus. This technique is used for ORIF of a bony avulsion. As far as pros and cons, there's a biomechanical advantage with a decrease in the quote killer turn with less graft attenuation and failure, and the con is that screw fixation of the graft bone block is within 20 millimeters of the popliteal artery. A single bundle technique can be done either arthroscopic or open. As far as the technique, you will reconstruct the anterolateral bundle and tension at 90 degrees of flexion. The double bundle technique can also be done either arthroscopically or open. As far as the technique, the anterolateral bundle is tensioned in 90 degrees of flexion, and the posteromedial bundle is tensioned in extension. As far as pros and cons, there's a biomechanical advantage with knee function in flexion and extension. However, a clinical advantage has yet to be determined. It may be advantageous to perform a double bundle technique with a combined PCL slash posterolateral corner injury for better rotational control as the posterolateral corner reconstructions typically loosen over time. As far as rehabilitation, postoperative care will involve immobilization and extension early and protection against gravity. Early motion should be done in the prone position. Rehabilitation focuses on quadriceps rehabilitation and make sure to avoid resisted hamstring strengthening exercises such as hamstring curls in early rehab. This is because the hamstrings create a posterior pull on the tibia which increases stress on the graft. Finally, the major complications to be aware of are popliteal artery injury and patellofemoral pain slash arthritis. As far as popliteal artery injury, the popliteal artery is at risk when drilling the tibial tunnel as it lies just posterior to the PCL insertion on the tibia, separated only by the posterior capsule. And as far as patellofemoral pain slash arthritis, this is due to chronic PCL deficiency. That's all for this review about PCL injuries. Hopefully that was helpful. Look out for questions related to this topic on this weekend's question session, and hopefully this episode will have prepared you for that review. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on iTunes. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.